Welcome to today's edition of Beat to the Fire, where we're always challenging the status quo. For more cutting-edge commentary, go to feettothefire.org. That is feet, the number two, thefire.org. And now your host. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Feet to the Fire. This is your host, Sergio Fassa. It is Friday, and we interrupt our normal broadcasting to bring you another part, part four in the series, The Conservative Mind, continuing on as long as, I'm not sure, as long as I feel like it. I think we're having a great discussion here. Normally, we do Friday Follies on Friday, stuff in the news, crazy stuff from liberals in the news. But I want to keep going with this conversation we've been having, this philosophical discussion as a result of my trip overseas in Cambodia, working with missionaries there, and also my conversation with a friend that I've mentioned numerous times who is is conservative in the loose sense, but not quite thinking and seeing in a conservative way. And I've been walking you through some academic texts. I want to continue with some other examples and discussions of where we see those who ought to be in the conservative camp, in the conservative uh, mindset and worldview, should be uh, people speaking our language and philosophy, and yet yet they're not. Um, so this text that we're going to wrap up today, The Fabric of Theology, A Prolegomenon to Evangelical Theology, love those fancy titles by Richard Lintz, one more reading from there, and I had made the comment that um, numerous times he almost seems to be suggesting, well, not seems to be, he's suggesting that uh, democracy, uh, self, Republican self-government, and uh, the free market, these things are... Uh, you know, uh, subject to critique, they're, they're optional, um, and then he makes these conditional statements, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting communism is a better alternative, and as I've, again, said numerous times, there, no Christian, no conservative should ever make a statement that's so radical that you have to follow it up with, but I don't mean socialism's a good idea. What, what could you ever possibly say as a conservative that would convey this idea that you think socialism is a good idea? It's like a Christian being critical of his, his own understanding of truth and the Bible, criticizing it and then being like, well, I'm not suggesting we should go over to Satanism. Like, what? What, what did you say that would make your reader think that you're suggesting that? You must have said something wildly radical. Okay, so we were in the middle of it. We said that uh, his last comment was uh, a biblical ideology is as critical as Marxism of consumerist individualism, which it's not, because Marxism criticizes the individual, dissolves the individual in favor of uh, the the statistical population. You're just you're just uh, uh, a member of the proletariat, one number out of a sea of people that can be exterminated and wiped out at will. That's Marxism. No individualism. And there's certainly no consumerism in Marxism because there's no market or ownership. And the Bible doesn't repudiate consumerism or the market or individualism. Now, here's another comment he makes. Let's keep going. Again, context is not my my concern here. I can't give you the context of this very... Uh, uh, lofty, sophisticated book that uh, on, on, on theology, these kind of uh, ethereal points he's trying to make. But uh, the underlying ideas are, 
are what I have issue with. Evangelicals, on the next page, evangelicals capitulate to the spirit of the age in supposing that their range of choices is limited to various enculturations of the gospel instead of believing that the gospel offers a critique of every culture. What in the world is he saying? Well, one thing I want to mention, again, this is just another example of that academic speech where the academy and these these uh, thinkers, they beat around the bush with this soft academic speech, this, uh, quote, avoid actually saying what I'm saying because I don't have the guts to say it type of speech. Because if I actually come out and say what I, what I really mean in a propositional way, in a declarative, very uh, clear, transparent way, people are going to, you know, uh, laugh me out of the room because it's absurd. What he meant by that thick statement was evangelicals have to stop capitulating uh, to saying that um, we, we, are, we are only limited uh, to the American version of the gospel instead of understanding that the gospel criticizes every culture, including the American culture. That, that's what he means. And you have to pause and say, what, what are you talking about? What conservative, what Christian is suggesting that the gospel isn't critical of of every culture, including uh, American culture, every culture is man's culture, so the sin in it, the gospel speaks prophetically to it and against it. Um, but what is this idea, This they, they love this concept, the enculturation of the gospel, that the gospel's been masked by culture. We've whitewashed it, westernized it, Americanized it, and we got to see that. No, we haven't. The gospel is the gospel. It's a transcendent truth. It's not a white message or a Western message. And we haven't wrapped it in the trappings of American culture. But his argument is that we are basically ethnocentric, and our version of the gospel is uh, uh, sanitized in a Western way, and we don't allow it to criticize what we have here in the West. Well, let's go on. What does he mean? What's it supposed to criticize? The object is not to substitute a Marxist or a feminist or a Latin American enculturation of the gospel for a North American capitalist enculturation of the gospel. See, there you go again. I, he finally used the word capitalist, and he's, he has to give this conditional comment again. I'm not saying we should have a, a Marxist version of the gospel. What in the world? I'm sorry, I'm raising my voice. What in the world is a Marxist version of the gospel? This is, this is, this is silly talk. Marxism is anti-gospel. What is a feminist version of the gospel? What is a Latin American enculturation of the gospel? Don't, don't Latin Americans and white people in North America and Chinese and Eskimos and everybody in between uh, and repentant, um, repentant atheists in Europe, don't we all get saved in the same way through the same gospel of Jesus Christ that's transcendent? You know what this is the result of, guys? This is a whole nother episode we could talk about. It. This is the result of a, of a warped epistemology in the West, what I would call perspectivism, that there is no objective knowledge external to us the way Martin Luther talked about, but all knowledge is sifted through the grid of perspective. So the way you see and preach the gospel or preach truth or see culture is only always through your subjective prejudice, prejudicial and biased lens of who you are. No one can see truth uh, in an objective way. That is a warped epistemology. This guy obviously has it and is advocating for it. And, he's, and he, he, again, has to give this conditional statement. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying we should have a Marxist gospel or a Latin American gospel. You know what he means by that? He's talking about liberation theology in Latin America, which is very hot 
and has been for decades now. And all that is, is socialism, Marxism, communism wrapped up with a little Christian flavor sprinkled on top, Christian trappings and accoutrement added on top to make it sound spiritual, but it's really, it's really rank socialism that's very popular in these poor, lawless countries. So uh, he's giving this caveat. I'm not saying we should have that kind of gospel. I don't even know what those kinds of gospels are. There's no kinds of gospel. There's one gospel. Read Galatians 1. Anyway, uh, we shouldn't substitute these Marxist or feminist or Latin American enculturation of the gospel for a North American capitalist enculturation of the gospel. Wait, what is a, a we have a capitalist enculturation of the gospel. What does that mean? A capitalism, free market, property ownership, let's talk the way the founders did in biblical terms, the right to private property, the sanctity of property rights, thou shalt not steal, codified all throughout the Old and the New Testament, I will add. Um, uh, that, is a, that is a transcendent moral absolute. Uh, capitalism is not a North American invention. It's not a North American version of the gospel. It's an entailment of the gospel. When you, when you exert the gospel over and against man's culture and implement the gospel and preach the gospel, it unleashes human freedom, individualism, and it one of the subsidiaries of it is it opens up the market. It teaches people that you can't steal. Property is, uh, is, a, is, a, uh, is a sanctified, is a sacred thing, and it must be upheld. And property rights is then enforced in the culture that has been transformed by the gospel. That's not Western or North American. And he says, so again, uh, I don't want to substitute the North American capitalist enculturation of the gospel, which makes no sense with these other versions. But here you go. Rather to see the gospel in its critique of North American capitalism and Marxism and feminism, and Latin American liberation theology. So the gospel, he's saying, is supposed to critique all of uh, these versions of culture. But do you see what he did there at the end? He took North American capitalism and put it on the level of Marxism, feminism, and Latin American liberation theology, which is, i.e., socialism. So, so North American capitalism, Western civ, as we would call it, is Here's the problem. It's one among many. Okay, let me pause for a second. Let that sink in. This guy is suggesting a pluralistic view of civilization. That Western civilization, a North American civilization, characterized, as he said numerous times now, by uh, democracy and the market, that is one among many options, equal with Marxism or feminism or uh, socialism in Latin America. Do you see how dreadful and wrong and misguided this is? It's the, the biblical absolute truth claims like property rights, the market, and Republican self-government under covenant law, these aren't, these aren't preferences, one among many, uh, options among, among equal brothers, different philosophies, but they're all equal and you just kind of pick them like you're picking stuff off the, uh, out of the aisle in the grocery store? No. Market, self-government, are transcendent moral absolutes grounded in the scriptures, and every culture transformed by the gospel does well to implement them. So it's a very self-righteous attitude that he's projecting, he may not mean to, like, oh, don't worry, I'm not ethnocentric, I don't love my culture more, it's equal to all the other backwards dictatorships around the world that oppress people, and we should criticize all of them. This is what I'm talking about, uh, the lack of a conservative mind. Go over, like I was to a nation like Cambodia, 
and see the ravages of socialism and humanist philosophy and tell me that there is a moral equivalency between that and what we, by God's grace and the blessings of the gospel, experience in the West, which is the market and self-government and law and order and constitutional government. Go ahead and tell me when you visit another place where there's misery and exploitation, that there's some moral equivalency between them. So you know what's funny? I'm reading this book and I find, now this is the, let me train you in the conservative mind. I'm reading this, I'm like, this is, this book's weird. This is weird. When was this written? I, I often do that. As I'm reading these books, I'm like, something weird here. So I, I flip back. I look at the beginning and I see, well, there you go. 1993. What, what does that mean? Use the conservative mind. Okay, 1993, you're coming out of the Reagan revolution. And the cultural discussion at the time is the idea of the silent majority, the sleeping giant, the conservative grassroots, the Christian right, the rising evangelical political right that helped to sweep Reagan into office. And so it's in that cultural stew that Lintz is writing this book. Now it all becomes clear to me. This guy has got a, what's the phrase I'm looking for? He's got a thorn in his side or some axe to grind. There's the phrase. With the fact that the Christian worldview yoked itself with traditional American principles and ideas like democratic self-government and free market and uh, swept up into a wave of political victory in the Reagan revolution. He's got an axe to grind. And he thinks, no, 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 no. Christianity doesn't have to be defined in those terms. And nobody's defining Christianity as Western. What we're saying is that entailments of the gospel are moral absolutes like law and order, covenant government, self-government, republicanism, market economy, private property rights. And as I've said now over and over again ad nauseum, go over to other countries and you're going to see the ravages of when you don't have those gospel-informed absolutes being um, enforced and applied in a society at large. You're going to see the misery you get. So when you put this book in its timeline, now it makes sense. This is not conservative. Okay, can I give you another example? We're done with Richard Lentz. Um, I was, I was, we are out of time. I was reading a book. You know what? We are out of time. And if I start this, I won't be able to finish it. So I will whet your appetite for next week and come back. Let justice roll down like waters, America, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Don't believe the hype out there. I was reading another work of academic literature, and I'm going to show you next week how even down to the pronouns used in grammar, we are losing the conservative mind. Stay vigilant, folks. See you next week. <laughs>